just have to make sure that you're taking care of yourself and really looking at yourself as a performance athlete, no matter if you are in a performance in any way or you're just you know, a person who sits at a desk all day. You still are a performance athlete in terms of your mental and physical health. Listening to Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm your host, AJ Meyer. And I'm your other host, Trevor Algott. And coming up in episode 247, AJ and I sit down for part one of our two part chat with productivity and success transformation coach Craig Ballantyne. So, you guys remember that book called The Perfect Day Formula that I couldn't shut up about several episodes back? Yeah, Craig wrote that book. And he's not an actor. He's not even in the entertainment industry. But the productivity and success principles that he's put together can make a massive difference in the lives of anyone. And in part one today, we chat about how Craig got his start intuitively learning and adjusting his approach to life and business until one day he looked up and he was the editor-in-chief of EarlyToRise.com, something he had declared just five years prior to that. We talk about uh, how he overcame anxiety, why everyone should have a personal success coach regardless of your work, and an easy mindset shift that'll help you conquer any obstacle. That and a whole lot more coming up in episode 247. Support for this episode of Inside Acting comes from Rehearsal Pro, the next version of Rehearsal, the essential app for actors. It's now available in the iTunes App Store, so if you want to learn your lines, be off book for your auditions, explore your character, and make stronger choices and do a whole lot more, go right now to rehearsal.pro slash IAP to learn about all the great new features in the new version of Rehearsal, the groundbreaking app designed by actors for actors. That's rehearsal.pro slash IAP. Yo, AJ. Yo, yo, Trevor. So uh, I loved hearing your uh, little update from from basically, you know, from the trenches, like from the set uh, from last week. And I, I wanted to sort of just get your your uh, take on it now that, that you've had about a week or two to sort of reflect on the experience and, and sort of digest it and, and return to a normal life after a week of being on set with, you know, blood packs and uh, what do they call them? Squibs? Squibs. Yeah, squibs <laughs> and like you had a stunt double and like so give us like the the minute or so summary of uh, of of what this was like. I mean, how freaking fun was this? Well, it was a lot of fun. Uh, uh, is the answer to that question. I I said, you know, in the last episode, it's kind of impossible to distill down everything that I experienced and learned over the time that I was, you know, on set, but very grateful for everything that we've talked about on the podcast, very grateful for everything that we've listened to from our guests and everything because, you know, it's not my first time on a television set, but it's my first time in years on a television set. Um, I've booked a couple of feature films and obviously, you know, um, theater. 
stuff uh, since my last gig, but uh, I think it was Hannah Montana in like 2007. So <laughs> it's been almost 10 years. And, you know, there it, 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 it was a ton of fun and also, you know, just a, a sobering reminder that it, it really is a, a, a job that is just a very specific job, you know, and I'm not saying that I wasn't having fun. I think I was probably having more fun than like the series leads or the series regulars who are there all the time. And that is their job. But, you know, uh, also we're also we're ma- we're making movie, you know, we're playing pretend. You know what the difference is? I just realized the difference between playing pretend in your room when you're growing up or whatever and playing pretend on a set is money. It's like a massive increase in budget. It's like before, you know, I was playing with like Nerf guns and now I'm getting shot with like a real one that has a blank in it. And there, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so in the episode, I don't know how much you can share, but you know, obviously there were squibs and blood packs. So clearly somebody was shot and I believe you had to wear one. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. Yes. So there was, there was a lot of physicality I know in the audition. So I'm assuming that there was a lot of physicality on the job as well. They didn't like rewrite anything to, to like, uh, take away that aspect of the role. Right. Right. And, and also, you know, that was some of the most nerve wracking stuff. Like, There were scenes where, like, I didn't have any lines, but I had hit this mark, light a lighter, throw it in this spot, look up, wait for, you know, a special effect to happen, and then run in a particular direction, right? And you're like, oh, well, you're just playing pretend, like, so why are you making a big deal out of this? There are, like, several dozen people standing around, all working and being paid to be there, so every one of those shots costs a lot of money, and you don't want to be the asshole that screws it all up. So, you know, if I ruin a take, it's like, oh man, now I'm that, I'm that asshole. I'm the guy. There was, there was more, almost more pressure in the scenes when I had no lines than there was in the scenes that where I did. So how did you, I mean, you just did it. I mean, I did you have any sort of like happy place that you went to in your mind to sort of defuse some of that pressure? I, I just was constantly reminding myself that I was going to be the consummate professional who like does everything in one take. Like I am going to, that was sort of my goal was I'm going to save them time and money during this, during this shoot. And, and it's not my show. You know, it's, it's, it, you know, it's, it's not, it's not my show. Um, my, uh, my, my, my former leadership coach said, I had a conversation with him. I said the same thing and he goes, yet, <laughs> it's not your show yet. I was like, ah, mm-hmm. thank you. Thank you, Eric. I'm sitting there shooting the interrogation scene with the series leads, right? And they spend all this time getting coverage of them, getting coverage of them individually, getting coverage of the scene, the, the wide shot, right? And then they do the turnaround, and they do me in like two, maybe three takes. It just is what it is. It's not my show. It's their show. So they want them to look good. They want them to feel good about their acting choices. They want them to feel good like they got the, 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 the sense of the scene, all that stuff, right? That, it's, it's their show. And I'm, in the words of Robert Clendenin, human yeah like yeah. i am there just to spice up this one episode that's really cool man and then also on this uh on this outline here it looks like uh there was something to do with young and restless and netflix and disney did you have meetings for all three of these yes uh the, the disney one and the netflix one i'm putting myself on tape for the netflix one i already did disney one's happening later this evening um and the young and the restless thing is a uh, is the story that i sort of alluded to briefly like a couple of um episodes back but yeah things are uh things are clicking but 
I will say this. I'm so glad we had Michael Kostroff on the on the podcast because every single one of these, I'm like, yeah, I'm not getting that. <laughs> and look what starts happening. I'm not getting Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm like, I'm not getting it. Like, I don't have it now. So, you know, why should I expect to get it now? Now, at the same time, I'm, it doesn't mean that I'm like throwing in the towel or not doing a good job or, you know, when I sent off the Netflix audition to my reps, uh, I, I put in the email, uh, if they don't cast me, they're stupid. Hashtag, hashtag K thanks bye. Um, <laughs> so, so there's still a, there's, you know, there's a belief, mm-hmm. there's a belief in myself, a belief in my talent, a belief in my fitting the role and being, you know, what it is that they need. They need an actor. Yeah. Hey, I heard you need an actor. Right. So there, there's a, there's a belief, but things are, you know, finally, I think it's probably because it's a combination of a couple of different things. I think it's, uh, the summer's over. People are back from vacation. The episodics are shooting, uh, you know, their seasons are starting. Um, so people are, you know, ramping up for that. But, uh, you know, the Netflix and Disney things are pilots, actually. You know, it's cool, too. I want to highlight something that um, I'm hearing you say, which has been huge in my life lately, too. And I think I actually got this from you, AJ. You said something about, um, you know, going in with high intention but low attachment. So you go in like, I'm going to book this or the outcome that I am uh, envisioning, you know, I have faith that it's going to happen. And yet at the same time, I'm not attached to what it looks like. I'm not attached to whether this particular uh, situation works out because I know in the long run it's going to happen. But how this one happens, it's all part of some larger unfolding process that I'll be able to connect the dots to looking back much, much later. Well, it sounds like uh, Amir Talai as well, right? Where he said, uh, I'm professionally invested and emotionally disconnected or something like that. So, yeah. This episode of Inside Acting is also brought to you by VO2GoGo.com, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best Voiceover Training four years in a row. Visit VO2GoGo.com slash start for a free getting started in voiceover online class that'll help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's VO as in voiceover, VO, the number two, GoGo.com slash start start. All right. And we have one question here that we would like to respond to. This comes from Michelle. Uh, she wrote to us a while ago, guys, we have like a super long list of fantastic questions that we're really excited to get to. Um, so one day we'll stop talking about ourselves so much and start talking about you. <laughs> uh, at least we'll try and shift the, uh, the scales a little bit. But Michelle writes in and she says, I keep hitting a roadblock that you guys have discussed before, and that is the thrival job. I live in Cleveland, and I'm trying to save up to make the move to L.A., but I can't go on a lot of auditions because of my job, because I can't submit. My agency doesn't send me out uh, on, as, on as many auditions, and because I'm not booking, I don't get the experience. Uh, I'm also, you know, I do a lot of my own stuff. I write, I've acted and produced a few short films, but I need to start booking more jobs and support myself. I'm hitting a wall that is causing me to wonder if I'll ever really be able to pursue this. I'm desperate for feedback. So this, thank you, Michelle, uh, by the way, for this really great and universal question. This is the classic 
art versus money question. And they're not mutually exclusive. They never need to be. But uh, this is a, a thing that I think every actor struggles with. In fact, I was reading an article on Facebook the other day that I think uh, Helena Santos uh, posted. And it was about this like working actress. She's like recognizable. She's on a ton of things. And it was talking about like what her... Her, her, she was really just open about her finances and she was like, yeah, you know, like I, I, you might go from driving like a crap car and working three jobs to booking a $30,000 per episode, uh, you know, TV show, but then that show might get canceled. And after you pay your fees and your taxes, everything, you're only taking home, like, you know, maybe two thirds of that. And that doesn't get you very far because you might not work again for a year. And so it's like, you still got to be frugal. You still got to invest. You still got to like play the money game. You don't just like make it and then go buy a, you know, Tesla and a mansion and just like sip martinis by the pool for the rest of your life. You don't? No. Well, maybe you oh. do. I don't know. Can anybody listening? Okay. So I have a few thoughts about this. AJ, anything that comes to mind for you right away with, you know, how to basically create enough income for yourself that you can still be flexible and free to go out and, and work and audition and all that fun stuff. I mean, you're right, Trevor. This is like, you know, the, the, the age old question, right? And, and I feel like we could talk about this from a bunch of different angles uh, ad nauseum. The thing that strikes me, like my instinct is to say, Michelle, make a decision and go at it a hundred percent. And what I mean by that is either you are working this thrival job and you are making a crap ton of money and saving up or you are working a job and trying to pursue acting at the same time. But experience has now taught me not to do both. If you listen to, to Albert from several years ago on the podcast, you know, he would have he would have said like, you know, he probably would have said, get a different job. I mean, these are all possibilities, too. And, and, I, and I do kind of want to say this to Michelle as well. But he might have said, you know, get a different job or like, you know, do whatever it takes or, you know, live below your means, whatever, you know, whatever it is. But AJ post like especially that conversation with David H. Lawrence, 17th, about like building a war chest and like all that stuff. We 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 torture ourselves. We torture ourselves when it comes to money and we and we don't make enough of it, whether it's because we don't believe we're worthy of it or we think that if we do make money, we, we will no longer be an artist or we'll be too focused on that such that we're not, you know, um, uh, focused enough on the acting. Whatever stories that we make up, it, it, none of them are true. <laughs> and. I just want to be like, look, stay in the job. There's no rush. You don't have to become an actor tomorrow. Or I should I should rephrase that. You don't have to book a book work as an actor tomorrow. You're you're always an actor if you say you are. Um, you 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 don't. It, there's no there's no time limit. No one's gonna take it away from you. So if it means working really hard and making a lot of money then then do that but it worries me that she's using words like support myself as opposed to generate a crap ton of abundance like support myself sounds like michelle's in survival mode as opposed to thrival mode uh you know it, it doesn't sound it sounds like she's just getting by with this job 
as opposed to maybe you do need to go get a different job regardless of whether or not you are um, able to go out on auditions and, and, and such. Maybe this job is not paying you what you're worth. Maybe it's maybe you get to you know move into a different career. I, I don't know. I don't know enough, uh, enough about the job itself. But you know this 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 idea that we have to suffer for our art or suffer for the be in survival mode so that we can go out on auditions. Like I just I don't buy it anymore. I just don't buy it anymore. And I and I and therefore I have restructured my life in such a way where I'm making good money. And I have an I have occasional opportunities to go out and and book work, but it's not my main it's not my main focus because statistically, thank you, Michael Kostrup, you're not getting the job. Now, the the, the audition, right? You're not you're not going to book that job. Now, there's also the sort of Gary Vaynerchuk crush it sort of thinking of staying up until you know 3 a.m. after you get home every night working on what you want to work on. And if that means telling a story or getting your short film produced or whatever, then, then awesome. Then do that too. But to, to, I I just don't want anyone out there, any of our listeners thinking like, Oh, I I have to, there's, there's been too many people, too many listeners that I've met in person who have, or, or who have emailed or called the podcast saying like, how do I get go out on auditions and make enough money? It, 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 you 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 do it. You decide. You, I know it sounds like pie in the sky or dreamy, but that's that's the that's the truth. You you decide that you are worth more than what you're making. You make the choices, the hard choices, to go out there and generate the abundance so that you don't have to worry about it anymore, and you can build up that war chest, all you know, David H. Lawrence. That's really powerful. Yes to everything. And the only sort of piece of the puzzle that I would add, two tiny little additions. Number one, another thing that David H. Lawrence 17th, we always call him like that. Like it's so formal. Another thing that David says, Dave, uh, says is... Um, Davey boy. <laughs> another thing he says that, uh, that has been extremely valuable and true for me. I don't know if this is true for everybody, but he always recommends that whatever you do for money, whatever you do for a thrival job, abundance... Make it as close to the entertainment industry as possible, whatever it is, but get something that is a a blend of your strengths and skills and intelligence and passion that is as close to what you want to be doing as possible. Because not only will you uh, meet a lot of people and make a lot of connections that can get you closer to where you want to be, but you're also not having to mentally straddle two different lives. And the other piece of the puzzle I would add uh, is... There's a great story in the book called Success Principles by a guy named Jack Canfield. I've talked about it many times in the show. And in this book, he talks about uh, a seminar he went to once and he walked into the room and there were different colored notebooks on all the different chairs, like blue ones and yellow ones and red ones and green ones, orange, black, every different kind of color of notebooks, all these chairs. And, you know, people just kind of went in and they sat down and, and uh, the first thing that the seminar leader or trainer or speaker said was if you are sitting in a seat and you have a color notebook that you don't like trade that color notebook with somebody so until you get one that you do like because you deserve to have everything in your life exactly the way you want it 
And he said that was a really powerful lesson for him. And he realized, because he had a blue notebook when he sat down, and he said, you know, I don't really like blue. I want a yellow one. You know, we all have these thoughts. It sounds childish, but how huge would it be to honor those, the smallest little things like that? And so he found the, the woman sitting next to him had a yellow notebook. And he said, do you want to trade? And she said, yeah, I like blue. It, it, it tends to suit me more. And he said, great, I, I like yellow. And, uh, and he had his yellow notebook. And it was a big victory for him. And I bring that up. The, 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 the reason I bring that up is because the perfect situation is out there for you, Michelle. The perfect situation, the perfect blend is out there for you. And I would encourage you to not stop looking, to not settle, to not see your your life uh, as, as these parallel roles, but rather as one cohesive journey that you can bring into alignment uh, much more efficiently if you just have faith that the perfect situation is out there for you and it wants you just as much as you want it. I know I sound California sort of na na new new, you know, new age right now, but I I believe that's very true. Work tirelessly towards that ideal and you'll get it. You'll find it. It doesn't have to be an either or. It can be a both and. I'm also finding that in the in the in the spirit of like what Stephen Rohr what Steve Rohr said on the podcast like being a star wherever you are, I'm also finding there's an immense amount of value in, in hitting everything 110%. Like I used to approach getting promotions at work with fear, thinking that that was going to take my focus away or take me away from, from acting. But the fact of the matter is, is like I get to show up excellent in everything I do, acting or otherwise. And so, and it, and it's, it's, it's been amazing. Like just showing up excellent at, at, at all of my jobs and showing up excellent to my acting career and, and saying no to the things that aren't going to, you know, support me. So it's a lot of food for thought, Michelle. And, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there listening to us going, yeah. And a lot of people out there going, you guys are idiots. But Michelle, hopefully that was uh, supportive and hopefully our, um, the rest of our listeners got something out of this. I, I feel like this is going to be a very transformational episode, especially with the, between what we just discussed um, the interview that we have for this episode and then um, uh, even our, our picks of the week later on. So <clears throat> enjoy uh, part one of uh, our interview here with uh, Craig Ballantyne, such a generous guy to, to take this time and, uh, to spend with us and, and support our listeners. Um, it's a little bit different, right? But, it, but the principles, of course, apply to anyone's life. So um, enjoy this, guys, and we'll, we'll catch you on the other side. Okay, everybody, welcome back. Trev here with AJ and a gentleman that we're very, very excited to be sitting down with, a gentleman named Craig Ballantyne. And Craig is a really impressive guy. He's a productivity and success transformation coach from Toronto. He's the author of a great book you've heard me talk about on the show called The Perfect Day Formula. He's the creator of a fitness movement slash system called Turbulence Training. He's a frequent contributor to Men's Health Magazine, Maxim, GQ, and many, many others. And 
and he's the editor of EarlyToRise.com, which is a fantastic resource and website that teaches people the principles of success and productivity and fitness and just overall happiness uh, on their life journey. So, Craig, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Yeah, happy to be here. Awesome. So this is really cool for me because uh, I have actually been following your work kind of peripherally since I was in high school, which was <laughs> years ago. Uh, I've been reading your articles in Men's Health for a long time and following your journey with turbulence training and your move to earlytorise.com. And when I recently heard uh, Bedros Koulian talk about how you were one of the people from whom he's learned the most, I instantly picked up the perfect day formula. I read through it twice and I've just been attacking my mornings with a like a renewed vigor ever since. So I know the journey hasn't always been easy for you, and you, you've had to learn some of these lessons the hard way. I know that you've uh, outlined some of the adversities in your book that you overcame, um, and also you've had some some issues like you know with anxiety and things like that. So I'm eager to hear about that, but we'd like to start at the beginning. So let's start at the beginning, uh, because it's always really interesting to hear people's journeys. So uh, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you're Canadian by birth, right? Yeah, you know what? I am from the same hometown as Justin Bieber, believe it or not. Stratford, Ontario, Canada. How about that? Claim to fame. Maybe Justin uh-huh. Bieber is from the same hometown as you. Well, maybe, but uh, <laughs> I spend a little bit more time there. I go back there, uh, usually split my time between up there and Denver, Colorado, which is where our early to rise office is. So I am uh, spending a lot of time in America these days. Very cool. Very cool. And so what, when you started out, what, as a kid, what did you find yourself gravitating towards, just naturally uh, interested in? I was a sports kid, and what I wanted to be, believe it or not, was a strength and conditioning coach in the NHL. So when I realized I wasn't going to make the NHL as a player in the National Hockey League, I found out you could train people. And so that's what I started to do. I started lifting weights in high school. I went and got a kinesiology degree. I got a bath, uh, sorry, a master's degree in exercise physiology. And it was really, really close to, you know, working in the NHL because I was consulting with a few players and I was sending out my resume to all the teams and I was speaking at hockey events. And then I started writing for men's health in 2000 and that changed a lot of things for me. Wow. AJ's a big uh, NHL guy. So that's kind of a oh, cool very connection. cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm geeking out a little bit over here. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your favorite team, Craig? Uh, I don't really have a favorite team. Um, I just like the game. And the same with all the sports. I, I I follow everything, but I don't really care about anybody. Hmm. What, <laughs> what? When was the moment that you realized you you weren't going to make make it as a player in the NHL? What was that like? Oh man, I was really young. I was just like you know, I grew up in. The town that I grew up in, Stratford, is a hockey town. I mean, everybody plays, everybody's good, and so you know pretty quickly that, you know, like at 12 years old, you're playing against guys who look like they're 16, but they're 12, and so you're mm-hmm. like, okay, that guy's probably got a better chance than me, and so then I just, you know, I started playing, I was always playing a lot of other sports, and it was just, uh, then I realized, hey, I'm going to start training and see where this goes. Wow, wow, and so you you did work with uh, some NHL teams then, Yeah. Uh, some players, and some then players. also some players in other sports. And I was really focusing on strength and conditioning as a as a career. And then again in 2000, I stumbled across the uh, email address of the editor for the fitness editor for Men's Health magazine. I sent him one of the newsletters that I had uh, started writing. So I'd been writing about 30 or 40 fitness email newsletters to a, a list that I had built through colleagues. And I sent one of them to this address that I found, and he thought. 
it was good enough that uh, a part of it could go in the magazine, and that's the biggest fitness magazine in the world. So that's how I got my start, which works for nobody else. <laughs> you know, just finding <laughs> just finding an editor's address and sending him a random newsletter right. does not really work. Right. <laughs> uh, so I'm actually the worst person to get advice from in terms of how you get into a magazine. Wow. Uh, but I got lucky there, and then that built my credibility and allowed me to stand out from the crowd in the, I guess you would say, in the online fitness world, which was starting to become a thing back in 2000. Mm-hmm. And then uh, what led to the creation of turbulence training? That was something that I put together because all of my friends who graduated college around the same time as me now had these jobs and had these fiancés and they could no longer go to the gym, you know, 90 minutes a day, six days a week. And so they were saying, Craig, I need this. I need a new workout program and a nutrition program. I'm like, you know, gaining weight here at this job thing. And so I put together this short program based on my research and based on my experience back in college and workouts that I knew worked for me that were shorter. And then after doing like 10 different ones in a row, I thought, why don't I just make one of them instead of, you know, spending two hours a night after my work all day and, you know, writing up a a program for a friend, I was just going to put it into a manual. And then I thought, hey, I can, you know, sell this manual online. So I was at the time I was doing some work for men's health on their forum and I just started uh, getting personal messages on there and people said hey do you ha- can you make me a program and I said I can't make you a program but I can sell you this one that really works for everybody and that's how it started oh, that's so cool you know I'm a big fitness guy and I think it's, it's been so fascinating to see the trend from these longer workouts even just a few years ago to now you know like you can get some serious work done in like a half hour yeah totally and even less than that and even a few minutes and but today, still, so many people, if you're into fitness, you think everybody knows it, but I'd still say 90% of people don't know it. And I just wrote a book that uh, is just, it's on Amazon now for pre order. It's called The Great Cardio Myth. And we're still busting the, all these myths about how you have to go and exercise for 45 minutes a day at a slow pace. Everybody, st- a, a lot of people still believe it. If you go into any commercial gym and you get outside of your, you know, your small boutique gyms and go into those commercial gyms, it's all the cardio equipment is just full all the time. And so that's something that we're still trying to overcome. Yeah, that's really always so interesting to me, too. It, it is something that seems like obvious to people who are like in the know. But I, I still see people like slogging away on those treadmills and. I just want to be like, you know, you could just like run faster for shorter uh, <laughs> <laughs> or, or do something even better. Yeah. For less time. Right. So there you go. Yeah. So, um, so turbulence training, uh, obviously took off and then you, you created like a certification program for it. And I know you've done a lot of, um, work in terms of educating yourself on how to effectively market and you've done some personal work as well. So I want to sort of transition into your move to covering uh, or, or really taking over early to rise.com. Yeah, so I, I bought the business in 2011 after uh, a friend of mine was talking to the owner and the owner said, I, I don't really want to run this business anymore. And it was something that I had wanted to to be involved with for almost 10 years at that point because when I first found it in 2001, I thought it was the greatest email newsletter ever helps people with success and wealth building and health and all of that. And I wanted to do more than just the fitness stuff. And so when that opportunity came around, I jumped on it. Um, now I do a lot more writing, uh, you know, created the book and focus on that. And I've just moved a little bit away from the fitness, although I still still spend a lot of time in that world as well because it's something that's near and dear to me but also really easy for me to talk about. So I've moved into uh, kind of both the best of both worlds in my opinion, being able to help people grow financially and physically. 
Yeah, and I think internetindependence.com is a sort of offshoot of Early to Rise. Is that an accurate way to describe it? It actually started before Early to Rise. So in 2010, before I was involved with Early to Rise, I thought, okay, well, right now I'm still just doing the fitness stuff. What's the next step for me to kind of build my own Early to Rise? And it was to put together the Internet Independence newsletter. It was based on my experiences, which was you know how to make money pursuing your passion and selling your information on the Internet. And so I started that. And then it was six months later that I got the opportunity to take over Early Rise. But I've kept, the, obviously, that going as well. So I have three different newsletters that I send. that are Internet Independence, Early to Rise, and then Turbulence Training. Jeez. And while still writing for magazines and... The, ma- the magazine stuff is actually easier these days because, first of all, they don't really give too much outside work these days. And then second of all, uh, instead of writing the full article, all they do is ask you for a quote. So it'd be like you know, 10 or 15 minutes of work for a month you know, to contribute for a month or maybe maybe it'd take me 30 minutes to put together a program for them. So it's really easy. They do all the writing. But uh, it's really – for me, it's really coming up with the main Monday morning essay that I write for Early to Rise is the thing that takes me the, the most work in terms of our regular content. Wow. Wow. That's cool. And in the book, The Perfect Day Formula, you talk about sort of having a vision for taking over early, not taking over Early to Rise, but, you know, working with them. And then, and then you said almost five years and just a few days, I think, that vision came to pass. Yeah. So it's so it was, uh, I hired my first business coach in 2006, which is one of the best things I ever did. Highly recommend, no matter what you're trying to do, is, is make sure you get a coach and a mentor. And the very first question on the very first call, he asked me again back in March of 2006 was, hey, Craig, you know, what do you want your business to look like in five years from now? And I said, well, I want my business to look like early to rise. And it's, you know, I told him about it and he knew of it. And that was the end of the conversation on that. And then we started talking about other things. And then I just basically started taking action every day. I started becoming a better writer. I started getting to know more people. I started joining coaching groups, did all these things to get me closer to it, but not anything that would get me it. And then in 2010, I was talking to my friend and I said, Hey, I'd love to own this business. And he managed to be at uh, an event with the owner and the owner of early to rise said, I want to sell it. He contacted me and then it was five years, three months and 17 days after I said, uh, here's what I want to happen in five years. And so I was a little bit late, so don't hold that against me. But other than that, uh, it all worked out very well. That is cool. Do you, I, kind of a person, more personal question, do you believe or subscribe to law of attraction type ideology? I would say that it's slightly different. It's a law of action attraction. And so I had the vision in my mind. I knew what I wanted to achieve, but I had to go and do a whole bunch of work in order to get there. So I had to go and meet a whole bunch of people. I had to go and get out of my comfort zone because I'm a bit of an introvert, but I had to go and meet people and, you know, go to seminars and strike up conversations with strangers. And then I had to become a better writer because the writing that I was doing in 2006 wasn't good enough to be uh, for early to rise. And then I had to go and become more productive and I had to go and uh, become a better salesperson. I had to become a better marketer. I had to do all these things before I could earn the right to attract what I wanted into my life. Mm, I like that. Earn the right to attract what you want in your life. That's that's a, a nugget of wisdom right there. Um, you, you mentioned that you are sort of naturally an introvert, and I want to transition briefly to talking about how you, you mentioned in the book and in the emails we've exchanged that um, one of the obstacles you've had to overcome is some anxiety attacks. So can you tell us a little bit about this and, how, and what you, you did and put in place in your life to, to overcome it? 
Yeah. So that was very difficult time. And it wasn't just like, you know, I feel kind of stressed out today. It was full on physical stress where I felt like I was having a heart attack and, uh, not, not a great feeling. And so it went on for six weeks, literally six weeks straight tingling from the top of my head down to the end of my fingertips, tight chest, elevated heart rate, couldn't breathe properly, couldn't function mentally at a hundred percent. So my workouts were poor. Everything was just off. And so this went on for six weeks and I was trying everything, yoga, Qigong, meditation. Uh, eventually I went to the hospital twice cause I thought that I was having a heart attack and they checked me out and said I was okay. And then by doing all of those things and by getting the physical okay from the doctor that I was okay, I was able to overcome the acute anxiety. And then for the next couple of years, I could feel it coming back maybe once every couple of months. And I just had to breathe better. That was one thing that I really had to learn how to do is breathe properly. Um, instead of the short, shallow breaths from the upper chest, which many people do, I had to learn how to breathe slow and through my belly. And that actually changes your physiological state. So if you want to get psyched up for something, do short breaths from uh, your, your chest, and then that will actually elevate uh, your adrenaline. But if you want to calm down, you can't do that type of breathing. You have to go slow and steady and just big, deep breath in through the nose and out through the mouth, nice and slow. And that will help calm you down. I actually do a four second inhale, seven second hold and eight second exhalation, two or three rounds of that when I lie down and sleep to go to sleep at night. And actually, I think it helps me fall asleep faster. Wow. I, um, I think I remember Dr. Andrew wheel, Maybe I'm not saying that name correctly, but he... Yes, I, I, I got it from him. You yeah. got it from him? Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I read that from him recently, and I, I've been sort of trying it in my life, and it, it does make a huge difference, probably more than anything, uh, just intentional breathing. Yeah, I mean, it's so silly to say. Like, I didn't know how to breathe for the first 30 plus life. <laughs> <laughs> and yet I'm still walking around. Yeah. Right. I was an amateur breather. Now I'm a professional. Now you're a pro. Professional breather. But, but you know, for actors and, and performance artists, they're, they're going to know the power of breathing because oh, yeah. it's so important for carrying your voice and for remaining calm in situations. So that's one thing that has really, really helped. It's, you know, whether you're getting stressed out by work or, you know, a situation with somebody just stepping back and taking a few deep breaths. And, you know, it's just like even just four seconds in, six seconds out, you do that six times in a minute, you'll really feel a difference. It's like you can almost feel the weight being released off your shoulders. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I can uh, I can see how that would directly translate to those stressful auditions and meetings that, that actors have. A great way to sort of calm yourself and ground yourself before going into the room. Hey, Craig, before we uh, move on from, from this, I'm, I'm curious, on, on top of the breathing thing, um, longtime listeners of the podcast know that uh, my girlfriend has actually been battling um, some chronic depression for the last couple of years. And one of the things that she has found through her research and talking to people and, and uh, you know experimenting on herself is that diet is a huge um, – it's, like it's like the number one contributor to that – uh, you know, illness or, or whatever name you want to give it. And I'm wondering if you, in addition to the breathing thing or other things that you've done, and I know we're going to talk about, you know, uh, the five pillars and some of the other things that you did to, to sort of transition out of this time in your life. What did you, did you do anything specific with your diet at that time to kind of combat the, the anxiety? Um, yeah, I mean, I was drinking too much alcohol, which is an obvious uh, problem, mm. and, too, and then too much caffeine. Uh, I, I think that 
if you have taken care of caffeine and alcohol, you're going to have much less anxiety, hopefully much less depression. And then whole natural foods. I was already a very healthy eater, um, so I didn't have a lot of junk in my diet, you know, a lot of sugar, a lot of, um, you know, trans fats or stuff like that. So I didn't have a problem with the diet, but certainly, you know, after the sugar and alcohol or the alcohol and the caffeine. So if somebody is trying to improve their mental health. It's just like improving your physical health. It's just like being a performance athlete. You want to make sure you're covered with sleep, with nutrition, with exercise, with sunlight and with sleep. And you know, that those are the five big things that are really going to help you change and have more energy. And so he's only getting to one thing that I did was getting to bed on time at the same time every night and getting up at the relatively the same time every day made a huge difference. Um, and then obviously just, just having more rest. I was just being foolish at the time, but, uh, for some other people, if you're overweight and you're eating processed foods and you're not getting any exercise, you are definitely going to increase your chances of dealing with flare ups of anxiety and depression. And then when you go with a more of a holistic, healthy approach, just imagining like, Hey, I'm a performance person here. I need to treat my body, put the right fuel into it. Then you will improve your health in many different ways. Right. And, and sugar is a huge, huge issue, um, with this. And, uh, I know that from, you know, just learning via my girlfriend and there's, I, I can imagine alcohol specifically causing a ton uh, of issues for anybody who has a predisposition, predisposition to this. Yeah. And the thing is, it's like that vicious cycle, right? Because like, oh, well, now I'm feeling depressed or anxious. I want to kind of, you know, numb myself or calm myself down. I'm going to go and have like maybe one of my favorite comfort foods and then it's going to be full of sugar and full of junk and you're going to feel tired and even more depressed. And then that's going to lead you back to eating more of the junk. And so whatever, you know, the real underlying reason is that you have the anxiety and depression, it's exacerbated by the nutrition choices that are easy to make when we're under all of that stress. You know, if you're, if you're stressed out by something and you are, you know, just given like slice of pizza or a salad with chicken breast, or you have to go make the salad with chicken breast, obviously you're just going to go and say, I'll just have this slice of pizza because I don't, you know, I can't even think right now. And then, but the thing is that makes it worse. So you're absolutely right, AJ. You just have to make sure that you're taking care of yourself and really looking at yourself as a performance athlete, no matter if you are in a performance in any way, or you're just, you know, a person who sits at a desk all day, you still are a performance athlete in terms of your mental and physical health. Mm, that's awesome. I'm so vibing with that. Is there, uh, was there anything, I mean, you said, obviously alcohol was part of the issue. Caffeine was part of the issue. Not having a, a disciplined sleep uh, ritual was part of the issue. Was there any sort of mental or spiritual stuff going on that you had to tackle as well? Well, I think it just goes back to the introversion stuff. I mean, it's very difficult. And you can look at it one of two ways. You can say, oh, I'm introverted. I'm never going to be able to interact with people. Or you can say, okay, this is going to be an adventure. I'm going to go out there today. I'm going to try and become better. I'm going to do the best I can. Um, you know, it's just mentally preparing. I know it sounds ridiculous for an extrovert to think, how do you, how, how could you possibly need to prepare to go and talk to somebody? But you do sometimes as an introvert, you know, just having an opening line. And it's just, being positive and being open and 
realizing people aren't going to bite you and away you go. You just go and open yourself up and then you do little experiments. You know, you're like, hey, I'll just go and say hi to this person. That's all I need to do. And then you realize everything is okay. And then next time it's like, I'll say hi and then ask them a question. And then you get in a conversation with somebody. It's just gradually building up tolerance and resistance just like you do in resistance training when you get stronger you push a little bit harder and then you come back after a little bit of rest and you push a little bit harder and you improve and so it's the same thing with the mental obstacles in your life as you have with the physical obstacles in life you can improve you just have to take a look at everything as an experiment and training and have that open positive mind and understand that you can change anything i love that it's all about philosophy personal philosophy uh, I don't want to take us too far off down a rabbit hole, but while we're on the topic of diet, quick question, because I, I feel like I remember reading this in one of your turbulence training blog posts a few years ago. And I'm just curious, did you at one point say that you would never drink another whey protein shake again? Or am um, I, making I don't that know up? if I ever said that, but I okay. don't really drink a lot of whey protein shakes. I might, uh, I probably said that because you don't need to. And, um, uh, and so I rarely, rarely have a protein shake. I just try and stick to whole natural foods all the time. It's with the exception of, you know, I travel a lot. So if I'm on an airplane for more than three hours, I'm probably going to take a protein bar and some nuts and some fruit. And so that travels well. And if I have a couple of flights, you know, I'm going to Europe this summer for three weeks. I have like six flights and I'm all over the place. So I'm not really going to have a time to settle down and, and buy groceries. So I will need some stuff to, uh, to avoid eating, you know, chips or right. airplane food. So I, I don't think that supplements are really necessary for the majority of people. And so, you know, if you if you are really, 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 really on a tight schedule, then they're okay. But you know, this these days it's easier than ever to eat healthy. Hey folks, welcome back from the interview, or at least part one of the interview. Um, yeah, as you can see, this uh, you know, uh, Trevor, you know, did most of the driving on this this interview, but it was because we wanted to focus on the the the, the nuts and bolts of it, and really sort of mine the experience for as much value as possible for for our listeners. So, um, I, I hope you did get value out of it. Um, <laughs> Man, I, this is one of my favorite interviews that we've ever, ever done. I, I've been saying that more and more recently, which is a very good thing, I think. But I'm so inspired by Craig's example and the way he lives his life and the, the focus that he has and the principles that he holds as you know core life philosophies. And if you guys liked this first part, like get ready, like buckle your seatbelts, because the second part has so much actionable uh, information, so many core concepts. And if you haven't picked up the book yet, the perfect day formula, get it. There's a link on our website in the show notes that you can use to uh, get it, which will kick the podcast a couple pennies. Um, but whatever, don't, like, I, I don't care. Like whatever you do, get the book because it will support you in really leveling up your life. What is your uh, pick of the week, brother? Uh, all right. Well, I've made this my pick of the week many times, but, uh, as I continue in my life, practicing, um, living is, is, you know, uh, my best self. Um, I find myself leaning more and more on productivity philosophies like G GTD, getting things done. Uh, the book is great. They've got a great podcast you can check out. But as I've said before in this show, the thing that really got GTD to stick for me was this audio program called GTD Fast. 
they don't make it anymore. They don't sell it anymore. They sell something else. And I don't even know what the other thing is called now, what the new thing is called, but I've done some research on it. And most people say, yeah, the new thing that they have is good, but GTD fast, these, this original audio seminar was better. And I was like, man, I wish that was still available because I would love to have people to have that. And then I did a little Google search and I found that somebody somewhere has posted all the MP3s for GTD fast, as well as the accompanying PDF workbook link. Uh, so you can download the workbook, print it out and go through the MP3s, uh, you know, play them in your car or, you know, whatever you want to. But, uh, wow, a lot of value here. I'm listening to it again as I, um, am doing my various things around the house and whatnot. And I, I can't recommend it enough. So if you remember, I have collected all these links and put them in the productivity forum in the membership. So you can download all the MP3s, you can download the PDF workbook, you can check out the podcast, you can get it by the book. Uh, highly recommend, highly, highly, highly recommend plugging into this philosophy just to keep yourself sane. And again, the, the book is great. Podcast is great. But the seminar, the audio seminar is really where the money is. So check it out. There's a link to all those MP3s in the, uh, in the membership. And uh, I'd love to start a discussion about how to implement that and how various people are imp implementing that in their lives. Love it. Wow. That's awesome. Thanks for finding that, Trev. Yeah. Well, that's right. It was like the third result on a Google search. So, uh, <laughs> and you're, I really want to see this. You were pick of the week. Yeah. Uh, so, so speaking of, you know, transformational, um, uh, Netflix has a new documentary out and, you know, it, of course there's going to be critics and, and whatnot, but, and there have been criticisms of this, that it's just an extended commercial for, um, Tony Robbins and like, look, okay. So, that now what like if that is your if that is your your take um but it's called i am not your guru and it's a netflix original documentary um that follows um tony on his uh what is it like six day six day um seminar <clears throat> that he holds um uh, every year, I believe in, in Florida near his hometown. I think he lives in, in Miami and it is probably one of the most, um, one of the closest things I've ever seen to a representative of the kind of like, uh, breakthrough transformational leadership, self-development, emotional intelligence work that Trevor and I have talked about a lot over the years on, on the podcast. Um, you know, people have, you know, been weirdly sort of anti the methodology and stuff over the years and, um, you know, uh, have, have, you know, called it everything from a multi-level marketing scheme to a cult and everything in between lots of choice language. But I, I just, when I watch this, I just, I don't get how, I don't understand why people like feel that way because what I see is like, first of all, a human being who really cares deeply about other human beings and then implementing in a, in an experiential way, the, the, the tools that we often talk about in the podcast of like how to take your life to the next level in any domain, whether it's, you know, love or productivity or career or job or abundance or whatever it is. Um, and I think, what it comes down to, honestly, is people are afraid uh, of taking those next steps, leveling up in that way, and it manifests in 
a critique of this kind of work. But the documentary is great because like if you see that, you go, oh, like if you've never had any, if you've never done any self-development or emotional intelligence work or, or you know, even, even done any kind of leadership conferences or anything like that, you, it may be eye-opening where you look at that and go, oh, okay, I get what they've been talking about because this is a sort of a very, I mean, it's, you know, it's a six or whatever, eight-day conference distilled down to an hour and a half long documentary. So it's, it's just scratching the surface. It's the tip of the iceberg, but it will give you a taste of the kind of thing that we've been we've been talking about. And I, frankly, was was extremely inspired. I mean, I found I found myself as an artist, as a sensitive person, as an emotional person, as an open person. I found myself very much um, like I was crying, you know, uh, during parts of it because I was so um, touched and inspired and. Um, I just I thought it would be a great way for people to kind of get a sense of what Trevor and I have been talking about all these mm, years. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, so yeah. So that is GTD, the book, the podcast, and the GTD Fast MP3s and PDF workbook available in the membership, as well as I Am Not Your Guru, a Netflix documentary about Tony Robbins that I'm really excited to uh, dig into. Uh, we have one listener pick of the week that we're going to punt just one more time to the next episode because it looks like it's something worth a lot of discussion, uh, at least on this, you know, in this segment. And we are out of time, frankly. So um, let's wrap this bad boy up, shall we? Today's episode of Inside Acting was produced and co-hosted by yours truly, AJ Meyer, and of course, Trevor Algat. Jen Levin is our production coordinator. Gadali Gubrick is our marketing and web director. Deborah Smith is our community manager. And Timothy Patrick Waterman is our director of public relations. Trevor Algat mixed and edited today's episode and composed our theme and interview music. And Fern Lim designed our logo. Speaking of um, Deborah Smith, too, we didn't... Uh, we, we failed to plug the free vocal coaching event, um, which is happening later this week as of this um, this publishing. So if you want the details for that, go back and listen to the previous episode. Remember, you can email Deborah underscore Smith at me.com if you are a member to um, reserve your spot. It's going to be from 2.30 to 5 p.m. in Burbank. Um, details in the membership. That's on Sunday, August 28th. Yes, and the graphic for that is also in the show notes for this episode and in the newsletter, the weekly email dispatch that you can also sign up for. Nice segue, Trevor. Thank well you done. very much. And you can also listen to all of our uh, episodes over at our website, InsideActing.net. Find us on Twitter, find us on Instagram, Facebook, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes. We're also on YouTube. Check it out. Full episodes up on YouTube now. And if you do nothing else, uh, a nice review on iTunes would go a long way for us. It's a little bit like putting a tip in our tip jar. It helps other people discover the show and creates warm fuzzies galore. That is if you like the show. If you hate it and you just want to spread some hate on the internet, do it somewhere else, please. Oh, man. Yeah. If you haven't yet, go read the thing that Kevin Smith wrote about the troll that posted that commented on his daughter's um, uh, like Tumblr or, or Instagram or something. It's beautiful. Oof. Speaking of spreading hate on the Internet. Anyway, special thanks to our sponsors, Rehearsal Pro and VO2GoGo.com. And thanks to you, our listeners why we do the show. If you love Inside Acting, want to maximize its value in your life and career and support the continued production of the podcast, you can sign up as a member and get cool perks like access to our private member community message board where all these little uh, you know value ads are, are in that we've been talking about this whole episode and previous episodes. Um, invites to exclusive member meetups like the vocal class we just mentioned, fun freebies, special bonus content, and much, much more for just seven bucks a month. 
or you can do a, a year, sign up for a year and save um, two months, get two months free. Just visit insideacting.net and click on the membership tab to get started. You can also, of course, make a one-time, no-strings-attached, tax-deductible donation, if you'd like, by visiting insideacting.net slash contribute. Yeah, I think a dollar an episode is a fair uh, a fair value exchange. What do you think? Sure. Yeah, sure. if you're not Why into not? the membership. Yeah. Uh, cool. Well, that does it, guys, for episode 247. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, it's all about that high-intention, low-attachment. Attachment.